Vegas Strip in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is the sports betting preview show for Thursday, November 20th, 2008, a pregame.com podcast. Uh, as usual, we've got uh, most of the usual uh, cast of characters. Um, we do have um, a special guest here today, and this is him. I was wondering what he was doing staring at that screen. He waited like five well, minutes to press uh, that button. <laughs> there, yeah, the rest of and Now you see how the inner workings of the podcast and how uh, you know we don't use the most high-tech equipment. I actually have a little problem with my regular soundboard here, so I'm not going to be able to do the sounds for the other guys. But we do have the godfather, Marco D'Angelo, with us, and we do have... Uh, we've got Vegas Runner with us, and uh, yeah, big plate of cookies in the middle of the table. <laughs> <laughs> and Marco's not so popular cat, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll let you talk about that more, Johnny. But uh, basically, we want to start off with something that was all over the place. We got uh, pregame a lot of press clippings this uh, this week. I was I've been on I've had three radio appearances already this week on on this subject, and uh, it's it's Donovan McNabb. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's it's obviously the Steelers game and how that kind of turned out. Uh, a lot of people on the forums were kind of up in arms saying how the game was fixed and this and that. And Johnny, I, I want to start with you, kind of talking about just the myth of uh, a game being fixed in the NFL and just the way that kind of, that game ended. You know, and, and just how it's so unlikely that if a game was really fixed, it would come down to a play like that at the end of the. Exactly. I mean, I don't think it's impossible to fix something in the NFL, but if you're going to fix it, it's going to be something that's prearranged prior to the game. You know, it's going to be some refs making certain calls to maybe fluctuate how the over-under ends up or something along those lines. But, I mean, for that play to happen the way it did at the end of the game, I mean, it was a fluke play, a mistake was made, it, it happened to, you know, affect the point spread, and obviously everyone on one side of it, it was a fix. Um, you know, all these books are independent. I mean, the bookmakers around the country, unless there's some secret bat phone, and at that very minute, they went right into the headset of the ref and said, hey, you better do this because we need this game. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, everyone saw the Donahue thing, you know, so everything is fixed. You know, you wish your gamblers say games are fixed. But that play at that moment, a fluke thing, a mistake is going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it was a TV game. I mean, for that to be a fixed game and a fixed play, it was the worst fix in the history of sports of all time. Yeah, actually, I thought uh, that uh, Marco D'Angelo and Vegas Runner were in the Money Talks tournament last weekend, <laughs> and I thought maybe Marco had some connections back in Pittsburgh where he, he got that, uh, that call to be made because the, his opponent, their opponent last week had the Pittsburgh Steelers as one of the plays, and I was following <laughs> that game closely, and you know that's the first thing that came to my mind. Marco... No, unfortunately not. But just to play devil's advocate to the you know fixing of the game, there's a lot of things that went on in that game leading up to that play that really had a lot of people you know scratching their head. You know, for Pittsburgh being one of the most popular teams in the NFL when playing at home, they got called for 13 penalties in that game, and the Chargers only got called for two penalties. Um, that just generally does not happen in the NFL that the home team gets that many flags dropped on them. Steelers totally dominated the game, almost 2-1 to one in total yardage, and it's a shame that it come down to a play like that. But I agree with you, Johnny. You know, they're not going to fix the NFL. The NFL's too big. It's not going to happen. 
But anytime you have gamblers, and I like right. to use the gambler's mentality, you got to blame somebody for a loss. You know, everybody looks for a reason for a loss, and you know that's you know it was just an unfortunate game. You know, for me, uh, one of the radio spots that I do, I kind of got egg on my face Sunday uh, when the game ended. Um, the radio show that we do weekly, the host is from San Diego, and we had an on-air bet Sunday on the game. You know, on the air when we did the show Wednesday night. So uh, we had a steak dinner bet here in you know Vegas, but it was more just you know busting balls with one another. And I gave him the five points. So whenever they scored the touchdown at the end of the game, and I waited for them to go into the booth, and they come out of the the review booth, and he says touchdown, I immediately ran from the TV into my office to the computer to send the guy an email. I mean, like seconds after it, I send him the email. I like my steak medium. And I come back, it wasn't 10 minutes later, I get a call from a buddy back in Pittsburgh saying, you know, what the hell just happened that they reversed the call? I didn't know for 10 minutes that they took the points back off the board. So I look like an idiot, but you know, you're going to have that. What's your take, VR? Because it was a nationally televised game, obviously it was going to get a lot of action from the books. Um, the way we got to look at this, you got to put it in perspective. San Diego was never in doubt that whole game. They were covering the whole game. I mean, and I have to agree with Johnny Detroit there. If you're going to fix a game for the favorite to cover, you're definitely not going to wait and hope that the underdog laterals the ball away and they score with zero time left on the clock. There's a lot better ways to fix a game than, than hope exactly. that something like that happens. So as far as that game being fixed, I absolutely 100% Say no chance. I mean, let's just get that out of the way first. It was a mistake. It, they didn't first. They had no clue what to do. Is what happened. I mean, the players are rushing onto the field as the game's over. One guy's dancing in the end zone. Coaches are shaking hands, and the refs need to go check under the screen to see whether the, it's going to count or not. And in the end, it had absolutely no bearing on the outcome of the game as far as the final score. Pittsburgh was going to win that game whether that counted or not. You know, so the big deal came in because it had to do with this, with the point spread and the betters. But, you know, I agree with Johnny. Sure, you can possibly fix an NFL game. I mean, you got human beings involved, so obviously if they can put something together. But human nature, people talk, and we haven't really heard of NFL games being fixed, you know, as long in my lifetime, pretty much. It, it's more in, in college sports. It happened with the NBA with the ref anyway. Um, to make a long story short, I really don't believe it had anything to do with the fix. It had nothing to do with Vegas needing one side or the other. And I, I never understood that. I hear people in the sports book scream it out. I see people in forums write about it. And they say, Vegas needs this. Vegas needs that. Vegas doesn't need anything. Vegas already makes 4.5% on every dollar wagered coming in. So they really don't need anything. Sure, they're not 50-50 on each side on each game. So they're going to need a side here and there. But because people lose all, you know, rationale when they gamble, they, they, that's how the sports book makes their money. They know people are going to make errors with their bankroll. So, you know, as far as Vegas needs this or Vegas needs that, that's not why that happened. It was a bad play. It was an error. It was a judgment call by the referees. They went back. They fixed it. I think they got it right. And, you know, it just got to move on. I mean, and tossing the fact is, is, you know, people, you know, on these boards and these sports talk shows, I mean, it got to the point that I couldn't even listen to it anymore is, you know, the Vegas needs. It's all this. conspiracy. The thing is, people need to realize that Vegas does, like you said, Vegas is, is a minute portion of gambling nowadays. It's Absolutely. offshore. It's through locals. And to tell me some local in Detroit where I'm at called a local in Pittsburgh where Marco grew up at, and then they conf- 
conspired together to fix the game. And then, I, you know, when I said that, I, I someone on one of the forums had a rebuttal saying, well, the offshores did it. They're the, where all the money is. But, I mean, how many people on the forums are saying that the books graded the games wrong? So if they are in on this fix, not only were they stupid enough to fix the TV game on the last play and some miracle screw-up, they then regraded all the games wrong, tied up everyone's money, then had to regrade. I mean, I, I have a friend over at uh, Five Dimes, and, you know, they graded the game wrong because of that score. It screwed all the parlays, all the teasers, and they had to regrade. People couldn't get bets in for games that were going on in the NBA. I mean, they said it was a nightmare. Sure. So, I mean, if, if anything, it was a nightmare across the board for everyone, not just the players, but the books. I heard a horror story of some Caribbean sports books where they were paying out the Pittsburgh winners, and the San Diego guys were cussing up a storm, throwing their tickets and storming off. Then they reversed the score, and they're scrambling on the floor trying to find their damn tickets to get their money back. But by then, some of the Pittsburgh people, you know, are already hitting the strip club. So, I mean, it, it was just, it was a fluke. You know, flukes happen and everything, and a fluke happened on Sunday. We went, but we did the same thing. I mean, we not the same thing, but a similar thing happened with the World Series. I know, I that, actually talked about that With the game with the Phillies. Very and, bizarre and that both those things happened. In Tampa Bay, bus. when, yeah. you know, how are they going to grade it? How are they going to, are the Phillies going to cash, or, or is it going to push? So, I mean, these things happen, man. When you play that amount of games every single day, you're going to have things like that happen. And when we look over the whole season of NFL, the amount of games played, and this is the first time that happened this year, probably last year and the year previously, it's such a small percentage. We They really should not make a big deal of it, especially with so much great things going on in sports at this time of the year. That should be the last thing people are still talking about four days later. I agree. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you one person I know did need that win, and that was uh, Tommy Ryder, our very own Tommy Ryder, who's heading back east as we speak. You know, I had a funny conversation on him, and somebody, some of you guys probably caught it on the forums. And he actually, right before it was right before Pittsburgh uh, kicked off to San Diego, he wrote, "Whatever you guys do, don't lateral the ball." He wrote that on the forums. I actually went in and replied and said, "You know, nice, nice winner, Tommy." Uh, you almost got because you wrote something about like how the Chargers were going to get a straight up win. I said almost a straight up winner, and then as soon as they did that, you know, it was after the kickoff, and then it was that next play, and then I saw that, and I was like, "Holy crap!" I couldn't believe <laughs> and that would have just been a bad beat, man. Because no, no doubt. San Diego was the right side of that game. The right team covered uh, the point spread. Any way you look at it. The game opened at a three. The public loved the Pittsburgh. This wise guy steamed up to five. The wise guy said, this is a sucker bet. San Diego in the five all day and steamed it right back down. And that's where we ended up. And I mean, is most of these games end up, as you know, VR could attest to, is, you know, the line comes out, it moves a little bit. The, sh- the closing number is what the sharp guys wanted, and they're usually right. And they're right at San Diego. So if anyone who got screwed, it had been the sharp guys because San Diego was the right play. Yeah, I would have loved to see a YouTube video of, of Tommy at his house <laughs> going through this. You know, everyone knows how Tommy gets pretty emotional with, with his watching games and whatnot, and it would have been great to see that. Post that up on the forums of him, like, probably practically throwing his laptop through the window and then having that clean up the mess afterwards because I'm sure I'm sure he had a he, he might have to pay some damages to that house after he left after he left town but um again you're listening to the sports betting preview show pregame.com.com uh, podcast we'll be back after this message with the game of the week
This is Matty O'Shea, Pregame.com's GM of Content, and I'm here to tell you about the Pregame Wire, which is your source for breaking sports betting news, giving you injury and lineup alerts each and every game day. If a key player is out, the Pregame Wire will tell you before you bet the game, giving you the edge you need to be a smart and informed better. For fantasy football players, the Pregame Wire is also a must-visit page to find out who is in and who is out of your lineup every week. Just go to pregame.com and click Wire Alerts on the left side to get the pregame wire alerts right now. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. Um, we're going to head right back into the game of the week this week, and I don't think there's any question. There's This is actually the best college football slate that I've seen, and that's why I'm going to throw out some bombs this weekend. But, yeah. uh, but uh, this, this game is, to me outside of Florida and Alabama in the uh, SEC championship game is going to be the game to watch, and that's Texas Tech and Oklahoma. What do you think about this game, VR? I, I, I was really anxious to see what number they put up. Um, when you look at these two teams, you have 10-0 and Texas Tech against 9-1 and Oklahoma. One team's 5-2 and against the spread. The other one's 7-2 and against the spread. Um, you look at their strength of schedule, almost identically the same. Uh, you look at their... At where they rank as far as yards, one's second, one's fourth. As far as passing, one's first, one's third. Rushing, one's 74th, one's 24th. Points, one's third, one's fourth. They are as evenly matched both offensively and defensively as you're going to get. With a slight edge to, I think, possibly Oklahoma, maybe a little better defensively. Um, not by much. My surprise was that the number came out at six. Um... I saw it anywhere. The total was also very shocking. The total opened anywhere from 68 to 75. So there was a difference of opinion of a touchdown with that total when it came out. Obviously, the guy who came out with 75 was more correct because we're now looking at 77. So Mr. 68 was way off when he brought it out. Um, Right away when this line came out at 6, the Sharps lined up and they laid the 6. I was a little shocked. Um, that happened because I thought public perception was going to come in on the dog. I really expect the public to come in on Texas Tech. I still think they're going to come in on Texas Tech. The books, even though the steam came in on Oklahoma early, I really think come Saturday, every book's day is going to depend on Oklahoma blowing out Texas Tech. Um, you know, according to Las Vegas Sports Consultants number, this line should be four max, four and a half. Because they're about a point different from each other. Give Oklahoma three for being home. Even three and a half. Because, you know, they do have a strong home field edge. Uh, For myself, you know, it's a game that I still have to work on. You're looking at two teams that have been both off since November 8th, I believe. So they both had the same amount of time off. Both come in covering three straight games. You have Oklahoma who scored 60 points plus in two of their last three. You have Texas Tech who we've seen could score on anybody. Um, so, if anything, this this game should live up to the hype. Very few games do, but whether it ends 13-10 or 42-43, it's going to live up to the hype either way. Um, that's how I see this game. Uh, I mean, to the Sharp that I spoke to, believe it or not, they think it's going to be very one-sided. They believe it's going to be Oklahoma from start to finish, wire to wire. Um, I, I'm not sold yet completely. I'd like to hear your guys' take on this game and, and still do some work on myself. But like I said, these teams look a lot more evenly matched than the seven. So something don't smell right with that game. 
something stinks there. So I'm going to send it to Marco and see what he has to say. If there's some stench coming out of here. Because I know the public's lining up taking that seven. Every book I talk, talk to already said from today's game being teased with Texas Tech, being parlayed with Texas Tech, tomorrow's Steelers game will be the same, parlayed and teased with Texas Tech. That's guaranteed. There'll be a lot of money on Texas Tech come Saturday. Uh, I agree. When I saw the line of seven, my initial reaction is, before I even break down the game, I'm going to look at Oklahoma. When I, when I see a touchdown in a game of this magnitude, uh, the squares are going to take the dog. Absolutely. I, I think. But breaking the game down, a couple points that I thought were intriguing. One, they both had two weeks to prepare for this game. I think in actuality, that's going to hurt Texas Tech more than help them because they had the momentum going. They had the two weeks, you know, back-to-back. -back. They played Texas and had to come right back with Oklahoma State, back-to-back -back big games. Now they got to sit around for two weeks and read their press clippings. In a team that's never been in this position before, you start reading your press clippings, you know, you start believing everything you read, and you sure. get a false sense of security. Sure. Oklahoma has been in big games every year. This is new for Texas Tech. You know, Texas Tech, the MO on them in the past was they run over the teams at the beginning of the year. They play a soft cupcake schedule. And then when they get later in the season and play the big boys, they always they fail always, their face. Yeah. This ain't a first-time game planning for Stoops, I'll tell you that, for a big game. You're so right. that's an advantage. You mentioned one thing, that the difference in the game could come down to the Oklahoma defense. The Oklahoma defense in the last three games has had 13 takeaways. If they get any takeaways in this game, take possessions away from Texas Tech, that's going to be huge for Oklahoma. The other thing that I think Oklahoma has an advantage in the game is the way to beat Texas Tech, and it's something that I thought Oklahoma State would be able to do, and they weren't, is keep that offense off the field. If you can run the football, Oklahoma is a more balanced attack. They run the ball for just under 200 yards a game and throw for 300 and some yards a game. You know, we all know Texas Tech is, you know, more passing. Um, if they can control the line of scrimmage, get some long time-consuming drives, when they have that lead late in the fourth, you know, you go to the fourth quarter, and if it is a four-point game and Oklahoma's pounding the ball down their throat, you tend to wear a team out. And you can get that late touchdown when you wear out the team and drive down the field. So, you know, right now, if you put the gun to my head, I'm, I'm going to be leaning to the Oklahoma side, but I haven't decided if this will make my card or not for Saturday. Yeah, you and me both. I was leaning Oklahoma, but again, I can't pull the trigger yet. Johnny, what do you think? This comes down to the almighty battle that you always see when people see, you know, Sharps versus the public. Like VR said, this game opened, it got steamed up to a 7. Um, the last time I checked, actually I'm looking at it now on the laptop, is uh, about 70% of the public is already on Texas Tech. Yeah, and, and that's not going to change. So you're saying a huge marquee game, one-sided, and the line's going the other way. And I'm not a fan of chasing steam if you're not laying the right number. Personally, I just don't see how Oklahoma doesn't just come through for the books and, and just destroy Texas Tech. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Big 12. I, I see a lot of scoring. You know, I think the total's real accurate. Um, both teams... Have only given up four sacks all season, so their quarterbacks are well protected, and that plays right into the fact of you know looking for tons of passing, um, and they're not going to be looking to kick field goals. I mean, both teams' field goal kickers are kicking at or below fifty percent, so I mean they're going to be putting up the ball. Um, historically, in the last eight meetings, I think the number is like one or more times 
Um, Oklahoma has intercepted the ball every time they played Texas Tech, so it plays into the whole turnover thing. I just think that the whole public perception of how this Big 12 is flip-flop back and forth with you know the better team losing to the underdog, and then the underdog now the favorite, and they're losing the next week, and the public's just going to play that through, and I think their hearts are going to get smashed this weekend, and the Sharps are going to be right, and the public's going to get destroyed, and Oklahoma's going to hand out an ass-beating. But that's why it's called gambling. I agree with Johnny there. You, you, the key to, to betting sharp moves, betting steam plays, is getting the best of the number. You're not going to make money if you're always getting the, you know, you're always the last guy getting down. You're always the guy getting the worst of it. Um, and, and this game, it, it is, it's going to come down to public perception versus actual strength. I mean, because when you look at this, the BCS has Oklahoma number five, and they have Texas Tech number two. But then you look at how the odds makers poll looks at this game, and they have it the other way around. They have Oklahoma number three and Texas Tech number five. So one of these people are way off. Either, you know, the press and the BCS computers or the Vegas odds makers and the offshore books and the people that set the prices for the market that we bet into every day. I put my money with the guys that set the prices, to tell you the truth, before I back what the reporters or even the BCS computer has to say. But again, like Johnny said, it's one of them games. If I end up taking Oklahoma Saturday, I'm going to wish I got down at 6. And if I lean Texas Tech, then I did the right thing because you'll get your best number as the day goes on. I agree. I think my take on the game is basically, I mean, I agree with you guys. Uh, the the key, I mean, the reason that Texas Tech is number two in the country is because they're unbeaten. I mean, people, and a lot of the reason I think people are, you know, betting Texas Tech is remembering how they handle Oklahoma State. I mean, that was a very, uh, what were they, like a three or three-point favorite in that yeah. game or something, and they just destroyed them. And, and that was a game where people thought, and including myself, thought that Oklahoma State would come out and try to control the pace, and they just got blown out of the water right away, and they, they couldn't keep up with Texas Tech. I mean, I, I really think the, the winner of the Heisman Trophy is going to come from this game, and I, I, I put money on Sam Bradford a few weeks at Sportbet, got 2-1 to one odds on him, and I, I think the home field is going to be a huge key too because you got to remember, yeah. Texas Tech had their two biggest games of the year both at home. They beat Texas, and they filed that up with Oklahoma State. That's what everybody remembers. Now they got to go on the road, and they're playing a team, like you guys said, that's been there. They've been through the wars. They're, they're the, them and Texas are the two most legitimate teams, I think, still in the Big 12 as far as like being able to play at different teams from different conferences. They have the, the defense that's you know been known to you know come through, except for the Texas game, you know, where they just kind of there was a lot of kick returns and things going back and forth. But they, they just seem to be, you know, the, the team that everyone expects to come through in these situations. And I, I, I think that's going to be the case again this week. I, I see, you know, like with what Johnny said, too, it's not going to be decided by a field goal. They're, these guys are going to be trading touchdowns. And whoever wins is going to win by probably a couple touchdowns or whatever. Yeah, I, when you're not going to play the field goal like J.D. said, these games usually do tend to become more one-sided than not. And especially with two passing teams, what you're going to see is if a team does get behind, they're just going to, like a Texas Tech, if they get behind early, they're going to keep throwing. Harold could throw interceptions. You know, some could get returned for a touchdown. I like the point you made too, Matty, about Oklahoma and Texas really being the elite of the Big 12. Because I just, you know, I just thought to myself, if even if Texas Tech were to win this game and come January and you see them in the BCS championship, would I have as much confidence in a Big 12 with, with having Texas Tech as their representative in the BCS or having Oklahoma there? 
And I think, you know, as the Big 12, I think Oklahoma would be the team that you'd feel more confident with representing Or Texas. I mean, Texas. Yeah, or Texas. Then I would Texas Tech. Texas Tech would be more of a question mark. Even if they finished undefeated, I think if they got into that BCS game, I think there would still be question marks there. You know, everybody would still be waiting for them to flop. Because they're not a proven team. They haven't yeah. been there before. You have to do it to... You know, yeah, you got, exactly. To get there, you, you, you do. You, you know, you have to win to be one of these teams, one of these elite teams. But so far, you know, Oklahoma's proven to be able to do that. Texas has proven to be able to do that. And this is Texas Tech's turn. And we'll see if they could do it. Plus the preparation, I mean, plays into it. Is To me, is you know, Texas Tech with the passing, like you said, with the high total and the touchdown for touchdown, giving Oklahoma that time to prepare, if they could disrupt that Texas Tech offense and they can get up a couple touchdowns, and now all of a sudden you're going score for score, but you already got that couple touchdown yeah. lead. I mean, you, One turnover. You, it, turn, it turns into an automatic blowout. I mean, who that's why it's game. I mean, Texas Tech could win 42 nothing. Yeah, probably for not. sure, sure. But, I mean, when you look at it, you look at the historical aspects, you you look at the, you know, with the neither team giving up sacks and the preparation time. And to me, I, I just think as a more overall offense, Oklahoma has more things that they could do in case they got to, you know, run or – what not that's, the Texas that's Tech does. Yeah, that's the key. The they have, they have more. They, they have a way more balanced offense. Yeah. That they their preparation over the two week period is going to be focused on shutting down that pass attack. And if they can disrupt it a couple drives and get up a couple touchdowns by mixing things up, to me, Texas Tech's in trouble. That, and then and then you're talking blowout. That was the best point. And the most telling tale that totally supports what JD just said is when you look at yardage. You see that Oklahoma's fourth in the nation and Texas Tech's second. When you look at passing, like I said, Texas Tech's first and Oklahoma's third. But then you go down the, to, to rushing, and that's a huge edge for Oklahoma. 74th in the nation for T-Tech, 24th for Oklahoma. And that balanced offense, even though we look at Texas Tech as the team that scores as the most potent offense in football, the numbers support that Oklahoma is because the highest scoring team in the nation right now is Oklahoma. Most points scored is Oklahoma, number one. Texas Tech's number three. Um, so that totally supports what J.D. said. When, if it's going to be a tough game, I think Oklahoma has more of an arsenal, even offensively. We know they have the defensive edge slightly, but I do believe that even offensively, they have you know they have more of the arsenal to get it done. Especially in the run game. Adversity. I mean, because you got to look at it this way. It's reverse role. Say Texas Tech comes up and they take a big lead is Oklahoma still could run and gun, they could run the ball, but Texas Tech is still going to have to pass, which means the Oklahoma offense is going to get chances really quick to get back on the field. I agree. If you reverse the roles, Oklahoma gets a lead, they could switch gears, and since they slow are a better down. running team, they could slow it down and give Texas Tech less chances to get on the field and get back in the game. Great so point. Texas Tech goes up early, Oklahoma has a better chance to come back. Oklahoma gets up early, Texas Tech offense isn't on the field as much, so every time they get that chance, they're going to have to score because if they don't, it could be another couple minutes with that running game. So Great we'll, points. we'll, we'll Great see. Points. Yeah, and one more thing I totally forgot to, to mention because this was my main point uh, going into talking about this game was that I even though it's much later in the season and there's a lot more on the line, it reminds me a ton of what happened when Missouri went into Oklahoma last year. Missouri was the higher-ranked team, I believe, and everyone was talking about because they were unbeaten. They were unbeaten going into Oklahoma but the, and they were very one dimensional with the passing game. And what happened? They went in there and they got killed. Yeah, and, they, Chase. and they played Oklahoma twice last year and lost both games. But they were very similar because they were, you know, both Missouri and Texas Tech haven't haven't been at this top five team level. You know, Missouri last year, Texas Tech this year, 
And that's one of those things when you're not used to getting getting there and being in that position to win a big game like that. You got to go with the experience. But uh, great conversation, guys. I think now we're going to move into uh, one of our favorite parts of the show, and uh, we have another special guest. Ooh, could that be email coming my way? And that is the question of the week, and Marco is going to tell us who it is. I believe that this was a two-part question, though, and I will kick the second question to Johnny Detroit after you get done asking the first one. Who is the winner? Okay, well, the winner this week is my buddy Chuck O'Luck. Oh, man. Chuck O'Luck. I like Chuck O'Luck. I like that dude. He's all right. Uh, Chuck Lux noticed that the number five on more games this year than ever. You know, 15 years ago, all you saw was three, four, six, seven, ten, and 14s. The number five is not a natural football number. I read somewhere that Vegas puts a favorite minus five if it doesn't know what number to put out, thinking minus four is too low and minus six is too high. His question is, what's our take on the number five? That's our Question of the week, and uh, Chuck of Luck, you're going to get a coupon in your email tomorrow from us, and that'll be good for $25 to use at Pregame Pros for us selecting your question this week. And uh, we'll kick us out. Uh, VR, you want to start? Sure, I'll take it. No problem. Um, great question, too, Chuck, because I, actually, I, I, you're not the first person that's brought, you know, brought this up throughout this year. Um, yeah, funny, Chuck, not a, I don't know about the forums, but no, guys Chuck, have Chuck asked has me. actually brought this question up in the last three questions of the week, and I finally <laughs> good. Because, it's a I great question. I, I've had it asked by a lot of different yeah. people. Is what I'm saying. You know, I've gone to sportsbook and I've been asked that question before. So it's an excellent question. Um, as far as them not knowing what number to put up, I, I don't agree that that's the reason. Um, I do agree with the point that sometimes four is too low and six is too high. Um, because it's going to sway you one way or another. When you see a four, you see a six, it is going to sway the better one way or another. So I agree with that, but I do not agree with the fact that they put out a five because they don't know what number to put out. Um, the big reason that I believe the five is being used a lot more, and I've said this from the first podcast, is because that books have finally realized that laying 120 on a six-point teaser or a seven-point teaser 130 gives the player mathematical edge, um, especially if the lines are sharp, especially this late in the year. When you have the number five, you tease the dog up to 12 on a seven-point teaser. So you don't get 13, you don't get 14, you know, you do bypass 10 and 11. When you take the favorite, you're only getting them down to minus two, okay? I mean, uh, yeah, minus two. So it's it's the total opposite effect there. You're almost at the field goal. The way I, I look at the five is this. Four, like we said, is just too low, you know. And six sometimes is, is if you're laying six, you got to cover a touchdown. You know, what's the difference pretty much? Um, so I think the reason for they put the five is because it is one of them numbers that really confuses the better. When you see a five, it's not a dog number. It's not a favorite number. You know, when you see a three right away, you know that two and a half or, or three is bet the favorite. Three and a half or four, you take the dog. That's what most people are programmed to do. You see a six and a half, you like the favorite. You see a seven and a half, you like the dog. With five, it kind of puts you in the middle of that area of three, four, six, seven, which are which are highly key numbers. And JD will be able to break this down a lot better than I do because he's someone that specializes on where games end. You know, he, he does a lot of, of his work with middling games and scalping games and knowing which numbers to take advantage of. 
But just, you know, my take on it as the years of me betting and seeing so many lines, the reason I think that the five is, is being used a lot more is because they do want to get more, kind of more two-way action too as well. And the one thing you got to understand is books hate pushes. There's nothing worse than having a game land on a number because then nobody wins. And what I mean by that is the players have to wait to get their money back. There's a line wrapped around the sports book. People can't get down to bet their next games. You know, they didn't cash or they didn't win one way or the other. It's a no-win situation for the books. And at five, you're really never going to get a game. You know, it will happen, but it's much rarer than four or six, you know, for sure. You know, that's that's what I think. I think JD will be able to break it down a little better, probably give his insight on it. But I, I just think that five's one of them things, like Chuck said, four's too low, six is too high. Johnny, what are your thoughts? Um, it's pretty interesting, actually, because, you know, Maddie was breaking this down when, you know, when I was in the office today, and I, I got my little dribble running in my head, and I actually went through the whole season, and it seemed like there was a lot of abnormal amount of games that were at five, um, but some of them, people have to also realize when you see that five on Sunday, it wasn't an opening five, it was a three and a half, Great three, they got steamed up to a five, you know, I, I was, I saw some guy talking about the fix about the game, you know, was bet up to, you know, whatever, and came back down, and the games that don't always open at five, you know, you, you got to look at what it opened at if you're if you're using the five as an example. I mean, that number is going to fluctuate. Um, and the second thing is, is I don't have any raw data, and actually I checked with a lot of people. It's I was surprised that some guys at Middle Scalp and our data guys didn't really have true data available. Marco did some research, and you know he'll get into that after you know I finish. Um, but I actually went to last year's schedule, and surprisingly, there was a lot of games that did open at five. Like this year, so I mean, I don't know. It might be worth someone who's listening to this, who who has the free time to look at some archive lines and see is it really that much of an aberration in fives this year, or is it just that you're noticing it more because the games are the games that people are watching have that point spread, you know, such as the Pittsburgh game True. being on the five. And I was in the office today, and there was times last year there was two or three games on a Sunday that opened at a five, and this was last year, and I didn't hear anyone talking about that. Um, and going to what VR was saying is one of the things people don't realize is, you know, you always hear people say teasers or sucker bets. Um, but teasing through key numbers with low totals, I mean, there's a lot of things that wise guys have kind of kept secret for years because they want the public perception that these are idiot things to do. And I, I do know offshore bookmakers that they will move lines certain ways so they can't get hedged their middle through on these teasers with low totals or, you know, the favorites through the key numbers with the high totals or what it may be. Um, you know, for example, you would think a lot of it's, as Vegas Runner said, is perception on numbers and, you know, the value of what you're going through on these teasers. Um, you think that getting an underdog at nine and a half points is a better deal than, say, getting one at seven and a half, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, since games very rarely are going to end on an eight or nine point victory, you know, mathematically, if you look at long term, you know, history of the NFL, there's really not much of a difference between seven and a half to nine and a half points when you're looking to wager. So don't let those higher numbers fool you, you know, on the teasers. And the books, I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, they're trying not just to avoid the straight wagers. They're trying to avoid getting middle. They're trying to avoid, um, you know, like Vegas said, the, the teasers. I mean, there's a lot that goes into these numbers rather than just, you know, what seems like it's common. I mean, they're trying to avoid everything. So. And not to not interrupt you, John. That was a great point you just brought up, man. And I it, now that you, you said that, it makes perfect sense 
that the number didn't necessarily open at five. And, and there's guys that like JD out there that do extremely well um, looking for spots just like this. And what happens is the book will stop at five or five and a half because if the line opened three, three and a half, or even four, and it gets steamed, it gets bet up to five and a half, they fear moving it to six. They fear moving it past up to a key number because they know there's guys like JD that are going to sit at the computer and the first book that has the guts to move to six, they're going to get wise guy action like him who's going to come in and grab that six because he's already laid four and a half somewhere else or four or even three and a half. So I think by leaving it in between at five, it stops a lot of the buybacks. It stops a lot of the middle opportunities, you know, for guys that are out there hunting for, for those kind of opportunities. You took Marco, the, you had some good numbers. Yeah, obviously. you took the words right out of my mouth there. And, and like an example of last week's game, the Steeler game, that thing popped to five the minute Roethlisberger and Parker were upgraded to play in the game. That's right. when it went to five. But like you said, once they hit that number – they're not going to move off of it because they're not going to open themselves up to for, a six, for a, a six, yeah. or, or to go back to four. Right, real quick, and when you're right on that, because when it stayed there and it didn't go higher because of that, the wise guys waited. Because I talked to a couple guys offshores, and they loved San Diego. When it got to five, they were salivating. They're they're waiting in the wings. And when that book stood firm on the five, they kind of said, "Screw it, five's still a great number. They're yeah. not moving much higher. Let's steam this baby back." And then you saw that number come back down a little bit. One thing that I um, found here and, and it was a little bit surprising to me because um i've been a guy when you talk about teasers i know you you do very well with teasers you know ace and one thing that i always it was a you know a cardinal sin for me that i would never tease a, a favorite cross it over to be a small dog right i just to me there was never any value in that right and i still believe that 90 percent of the time but i did find one situation where it is good, and I reached out to my friend uh, Mark Lawrence uh, and Mark Lawrence Jr. at the Playbook, and uh, they have a database that goes back to 1980. And I asked them to run me numbers of minus five and minus five and a half in the NFL. So these numbers go all the way back to 1980, and this is shocking. Since 1980, the point spread win loss on the number minus five. Is 140 wins and 135 losses. So the wow. books know what they're doing. The books know what they're doing. But what I found that was interesting, and here comes to the teaser aspect, because you, you if you do the seven point teaser, you're going to get the favorite at right. plus two. Right. Straight up, the five point favorite has won 190 games, and they've only lost 88 games straight up. So if that's you're, a win percentage of about what 66, 67%. And that's why I'm saying they know that if you only have to lay minus 120, minus 130, they do not have a house edge anymore. And I've said this a million times. A book personally told me that during the NFC playoffs, NFC championship, his exact words, I took my teasers down to $500 limits. Because if I had my way, they people would have to lay minus 170 to 180. That's what he thought the true odds should be on a seven-point teaser for NFL playoff games. Right. So, I mean, there's definitely a situation where crossing the line... It, does it, turn a profit, does sure. Turn a huge, you know, a huge profit. So, for you guys that, you know, are money line players or uh, teasers, uh, you know, there's a good angle on the minus five. Well, for Chuck, too, I digged a little deeper... 
<clears throat> I, I did a little research on this and um, came up with some interesting numbers favoring the underdogs. And this this is a unique situation. It's, it's mainly when the closing line either moved through five, so if it went from like you know, four to five and a half, yeah, or whatever, and and it and it closed within a half point of of five. So say four, four and, and a half, half or five, five and a half. And this is this is this current NFL season. The underdogs are actually five and one against the spread since week six, ten and three against the spread since week four, and fourteen and seven against the spread since week one. They're there's, profitable there's, numbers. There's right twenty three instances so far this season. You know, not that it closed on five, but that it was four and a half to five and a half in that range, or it crossed over. So and taking the dog cash that. Wow. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like honestly, like the biggest thing I've learned, you know, in handicapping over the last year in, in NFL in particular is I always was the guy, the sucker guy, taking the favorite at minus five because I was like, all oh, they got to do is win by a touchdown. touchdown. But what exactly. I've noticed, but what I've noticed a lot this year, especially if you look at that game and the Monday night game where the Bills were favored by five. I mean, those are two examples of two high-profile games where they had the the number five. The underdog almost won straight up in both those games. Absolutely. But it was very close, and I just thought that was pretty interesting. Um, that was a great question, though, Chuck. And the the sidebar question uh, that Chuck had for Johnny Detroit is, uh, where did you find the uh, the girl next door for last Monday? Well, unfortunately, Chuck, you might have to email me for that information because that's um, classified. That's classified in Johnny Detroit's private porn collection vault. That's private yeah. stock. That's top I don't know show. if you ever saw the episode of Family Guy where Peter had to go to watch internet porn and he went through like six <laughs> secret uh, secret chambers, a, a padded door. Had to put in some passcodes. So uh, it, it's but she pretty... did. She did look legal, so I don't think we'll be in any trouble there. With legals, we'll, in we'll keep that all All right, guys. Well, we're going to be back with our final segment after this next message. Again, you're listening to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. Hi, this is Tommy Ryder from pregame.com. The pregame cheat sheet features everything you need to bet on the top TV games, including team tips, top trends, and key injuries each and every game day, all on one page. The pregame.com content team also gives you their top consensus side and total plays of the day to help you beat the books. Visit the pregame.com homepage now to get info worth betting on today's top games and make sure to start your day with the pregame.com cheat sheet. Welcome back to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. It's the final segment of the show and we are going to be going around the table very shortly with our picks of the week. But first of all, we just want to do, uh, you know, briefly mention our, our guys took a tough loss last week in the Money Talks Invitational here in Las Vegas. They worked their asses off. I see these guys, you know, every, every day and how, how much effort they put in, into their picks. And it was just one of those weeks, guys. I mean, w- w- you know, what are you going to do? It, it happens. I mean. Yeah, both uh, VR and myself, you know, we were on tremendous rolls and uh, we just picked the wrong week to, to go cold. And. You know, like I said, uh, you know, every play that we put out, we bet, and you know, even more so this week with the money talks. <laughs> you know, that was you know, it was a five thousand dollar loss for us this week with the money talks contest. On top of our individual bets on the games this week, and it it just happens. It's one of those things, and you know, the guy uh, had more winners than us. We had a you know bad week. It's not one of those situations where 
you know, we went six and one, and he went seven and zero. Oh. We had a bad week. Uh, the yeah, game. that's the bottom line, man. I mean, and any way you look at it, and uh, yeah, honestly, like I said, I got a lot out of it. I thought it was a great experience. Um, we're not contest players. I mean, we've been betters, me and Marco. Yeah. We bet games, so you know, we didn't really even know the contest approach. To be honest with you, how to look the first for time you guys things to take than... advantage of. Right. Um, like I said, we didn't even know you could use totals till he gave one out. But uh, make a long story short. It was a great experience with Marco. I mean, just getting the opportunity to share our work together. I it was I know it was a learning experience for myself. Um, I hope it was for him as Me well. Too. Definitely. Uh, I just hope that getting that close, we get an invitation again ne- next year. I know how difficult it is. Everyone in town waits for one, but uh, I'm just hoping that we we will throw our name in the hat next year. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I'm just hoping that we do get invited back. I'm sure we will, and I'm looking forward to it. And I, I did learn a lot from you too. And uh, I, we both bring something to the table, different aspects to our handicapping, and it was a great experience. Um, also, want to go ahead and tell you guys what the uh, podcast coupon is for this week. Um, as usual, we're going to give a ten dollar coupon for you guys to use at Pregame Pros. A lot of great cappers on there, some nice winning streaks, and uh, got big games coming this weekend. And um, since we got a special guest this week, uh, Johnny Detroit in the house, we're going to make the coupon this week, Johnny10. That's Johnny10. Just punch that in when you go to the shopping cart and put that in as your coupon code, and you will receive $10 off your purchase. That coupon will be active through the Monday night game this week. So, um, as usual, take advantage of that. And uh, let's kick it back to Maddie to get things started with our games of the week. Well, actually, I'm going to kick it right back to Johnny, since he's a special guest, and see what he's got for us this oh, week. Oh, Matthew, you're so sweet. <laughs> I'm going to look at uh, game 155-156. That's uh, Michigan State-Penn State. That's you know one of the bigger games this week, obviously being overshadowed by the big game over in the Big 12. Um, Penn State at home, this game opened up at a 16 and sitting at about a 14.5 across the board with a total um, right around 48. Um, it, about 80% of the public right now is at Michigan State. Um, and, and just to preface, I'm a Big Ten homer. Uh, it's a huge down year for the Big Ten. Yeah, I thought you were going to take Ohio State-Michigan as your big game. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, many, many, many. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan will be back, fellas. Don't worry about that. I, I, have, co- I have faith in uh, for sure. Rich Rodriguez. you got to take steps back to be an elite pro. He built West Virginia. And, and if he can recruit and build West Virginia, he'll be fine at Michigan. Um I mean, once again, the Big Ten's down this year. Um, I mean, you could tell that outside of Penn State out of conference. I mean, USC gets or, um, USC crushes Ohio State. Michigan couldn't even get past Toledo. Um, Illinois lost out of conference. Michigan State, I mean, across the board. I mean, anytime they didn't play each other, they either got embarrassed or were never really in the game. And to me, Michigan State, I'm not sold on them. I think they're overrated. Um, I was a big believer when they played Ohio State that Ohio State just had to shut down that run game. And it was lights out MSU. And it was lights out MSU. To me, Penn State is well above Ohio State in terms of the defensive side of the ball. Um, historically, Joe Paul, when he's given time to prepare, I mean, you go back to some of the bowl games, um, even when they played Florida State a couple years ago, they were an underdog. No one expected them to be even in that game. And they come out and win it. Um, did they have the talent necessarily? No, but they had great coaching, great preparation. Um, looking at this game, he does have better players. He is a better coach. They are at home. Um, the public's all over state because Penn State, you know, hasn't been playing great lately. 
I just think they come in here, they shut down the run game, and they just beat Michigan State senseless. Um, Penn State covers this game easily. Wow. It's pretty, uh, seems like an easy pick. Might have to listen to the, the Big Ten expert on this one. VR, what do you got this week? Uh, I'm excited about this weekend, man. Honestly, uh, NFL, I'm guaranteeing <laughs> going to throw out game of the year this week for sure. And I love the college board as well. Uh, I Once again, I came to the podcast strapped with another three-star. It's been rolling. I, every week that I've been coming with a three-star, the early steam, we've been doing damage with it. So I said I'm going to keep the roll. As long as the streak continues, I'll bring the three-star to the, to the podcast. Um, this week... For J.D., I'm going to stick to the Big Ten as well. Illinois is traveling to Northwestern. You got Illinois minus 2.5 to 3-point favorite. Um, I uploaded it into the system for my guys already to lay minus 2.5 with Illinois. Illinois is coming off a tough loss to OSU, 20-30. to 30. They lost by 10. And here is Northwestern. They get the return home after a huge road win at Michigan. And they actually have won the last two times they've traveled out of their own home, home field. Um, and they played well enough that I think the public perception on this game is why is Illinois favored? Um, I really think that when you look at these two teams and you see a five and six team against an eight and three team, um, the five and six team should not be favored unless there's a reason. And in this game, there is a reason. Illinois, for first hand, played a much tougher schedule than Northwestern has. Number two, this is the final game for both teams, but Northwestern's already going bowling. They're eight and three, eight and four. They're still going bowling. Illinois needs this win to get to six and six and uh, possibly sneak in. Even though it doesn't look good for them, they do need to get to six and six to have a shot. Uh, this, like I said, it's the final game for both teams. The Illinois offense is just too balanced for Northwestern. That's where the problem is going to be. They'll be able to run the ball, they'll be able to throw the ball, and they'll be able to stop Northwestern. And having to only lay two and a half with a team that really needs this game, um, I know it's on the road, but the number's right. It's where it needs to be. It got early money from the Sharps. They bet the right side in this one. Illinois minus two, my three-star early steam of the week. Yeah, I actually like, uh, I like that play too. Goodfella, our buddy Goodfella on the forums actually had started a good conversation about that. Because he thought it maybe was a false favor and stuff, and I had to let him know because I, you know, being from Chicago, Chicago area right. and stuff like that. I mean, Illinois that that is like a home game. There's no no exactly home field that's event. that and, was and my there's, there's a lot of Illinois kids who are from Chicago, and you know they're gonna have as many fans if not more for that game. I mean, I it's know. a huge huge game for Illinois. I mean, it's big for Northwestern. Don't get me wrong, but this is a, a seizing game for Illinois. They right. could beat Northwestern. A team they really want to be. They could get the six and six, which is an accomplishment for the team that they put out in the field. You know, even though after what they did last year, it's a huge disappointment getting to the Rose Bowl and barely getting the five hundred. But this is just one of them games that I really think one team's coming off an emotional high where they went on the road, they beat a Michigan team, and like Marco said last week to me on the phone, Michigan's still Michigan. They might not be a good team this year, but they still carry that power. I mean, the name, they still gonna you can't take that away from them. And Northwestern went in there and beat this team. So that you know, that was huge for them. And here they are. It's a nice little letdown spot for them. I think Illinois jumps on them early and often and enough to get it done. Good stuff. Marco, how about you? Well, it's time for the uh, stench game of the week, and uh, my stench game 
stunk last week with uh, their St. Louis uh, Rams. But uh, this week we're going to go to a team that is a winning team and is in a situation where they're a home underdog. And I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals this week. They're at home to the New York Giants. And what I'm looking at with this line, to me, uh, the public right now is handing the Giants the NFC. I mean, there's there's no team out there that can come close to them that are defending Super Bowl champs. At the beginning of the year, you know, even though they were the defending Super Bowl champs, they weren't the favorite to repeat. You know, they weren't even second favorite. Um, they had no respect, so they played the whole season with a chip on their shoulder. Well, now as everybody's falling off the wayside one by one, they're jumping on the giant bandwagon. And I'm looking at who they've come off of the series of games that they had. They, you know, obviously they've, they've only got one loss on the season, and that was the Monday night game against Cleveland. But they're coming off. They went into Pittsburgh, you know, and at the time everybody was saying that could be the Super Bowl matchup because both teams had one loss, and they beat Pittsburgh as a dog on the road. Then they come home. Even though Dallas is a, a down year, it's still the Cowboys, their biggest rival. Sure. And they beat the Cowboys at home. They just drill them 35-14. to 14. They go on the road on a Sunday night game, play the Eagles, their, their next biggest rival, and in a shootout, 36-31, they beat Philadelphia. They come back home last week and play Baltimore, who was coming off scoring 40 points the week before and is now you know the new darling next to Tennessee in, right. the, in the AFC, and they drill them 30-10. to 10. What do they have to play for? And after this game, they've got a road game at Washington, followed by Philadelphia again, followed by Dallas. This is a natural letdown spot for the Giants. Arizona is a team that's won three in a row, but it's not getting any respect because they're saying they beat San Francisco, St. Louis, and Seattle, three garbage teams. This is what I like to call a legitimizer game. This game for the Arizona, they're a three, three and a half point dog. They win this game. That legitimizes them as a, a contender all the way the rest of the season. I'm putting my money on Arizona. They win the game outright. We're not going to need the points. I love it, man. I love it. I like that play, too. And I think <clears throat> this actually goes to another a point that you made um, back when the, the, the London game was going on and Drew Brees facing his former team. Mm-hmm. This is another angle. Kurt Warner was was cut you know, by the Giants in place of Eli Manning a few years ago. I don't think – I think there's a nice revenge angle there, too, where he would love nothing better than to show that team that he still, he still got it and go in there and beat the Giants. And as low as this line looks, um, and this was one of them games I could have easily made our game of the week discussion. I mean, it's, it's going to be it's a, a great, great game. game. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm one that that also felt that this line actually wasn't short. I just think it's it's a lack of the the odds maker being able to adjust quick enough. If you look, even when Arizona was winning them games, he had the LVSC had him ranked like 15th, 16th. He had when they were what were they five and two at one point. He had teams that were three and four way ahead of him. Um, gave him absolutely no respect, and here he is now having to change his tune, and he's got him all the way about the 10th. So, they I mean, they jumped a lot of spots over a two-week period. And I still think he hasn't gotten to where they need to be. So, even though it does look like a small spot for the Giants, I really think that the value lies with Arizona in this game. I think that they shouldn't be as, as high of a favorite as they actually are in this game. So, I think that's a good stench game, Marco. I like I, I, lo- I like it a lot, too. And uh, I think the reasoning is outstanding. I mean, 
you know, you look at the schedule every year. I mean, a team like the Patriots or like the Titans this year, you know, you look at how they go and beat for long stretches. I mean, the Giants are what eight, eight and one now, or nine, nine and one. Yeah, nine and one. Nine and one. Uh, they're not. They're not going to go fifteen and one this year. I mean, it's they've had a great year. They're the the class of the NFC East, which is seen as the best division in football, and they're playing a weaker division, and they're the defending Super Bowl champs. That's why the Lions three. But you know, I, I don't know. I I definitely agree with you on that one, Marco. Thank you. Give us the O'Shea play, baby. All right. Well, we had unfortunately we had the five game winning <coughs> lose last week. I was hoping that if I did lose it, it would help you guys, which it kind of did. You had you had the other side. I know there's a little controversy on the forums talking about who do we side with, uh, money money talks, invitational guys, or or Matty O'Shea, and hopefully they they took you guys on that one. But uh, you know we lost with Florida State last week. I'm actually gonna pick a total this week, and I think this is the the uh, great game, one of the best games of the day that. You know, not too many people are talking about, and that's BYU and Utah. They're playing. I mean, that's kind of like the the junior, the peewee division of uh, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. These are two teams that, like, to me, Utah's in the same exact position that that Texas Tech is in. The the difference is they're playing at home. You know, they're looking to go do what they did a couple years ago, and they're playing a very good BYU team with a quarterback Max Hall, who's definitely a Heisman Trophy contender at this point. And I'm actually going to take the over in this game because I, I think it's going to be a real shootout. The, the over's actually gone 9-2 and two in Utah's last 11 games. This is the actually the pregame cheat sheet for Saturday. It has This is the uh, total play of the day. And uh, the over's also 3-1 and one in the last four meetings. The two offenses in this, in this game are just unbelievable. And I think, you know, this one's going to be one of those games that just both of them, especially being a rivalry game like this, they're going to leave it all out on the field, and I see at least 60 points being scored in this one. So uh, that's that's basically what I got. I know VR's probably got a game of the year. I'm going to have a college game of the year on, on Saturday as part of my biggest card. I just love all the games this week. Me too, I'm man. Feeling I was, it. I was, I'm so excited about this weekend's games. I- yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be one of those weekends that I just think, uh, you know, it's about as good as it gets between the, the pro games and the college games. I haven't seen card like card on both days that just no awesome. no not all like we not, talked about the games jumping off on the page i mean monday i looked at games and i just started writing them i saw five or six different yeah. possible game of the week selections man i i love this week this is a great weekend to be there and that's what happened with me last week with maryland when i when i picked them as my underdog of the year i saw them on monday i picked i saw them and i just you know and I, I, just, I, was, I, was I know it. i know yeah. we're gonna have a huge week this week i'm telling you i looked that's at and i looked at the board and i said this is just, if me and Marco could have gone this week, we would have done a lot of damage. We would have advanced. This this is our kind of week. Look at them games. Look at them numbers. Well, and you still got the rest of the season. I know some people are frustrated out there, but these guys are going to finish strong. I, I think I think we got a good 4-0 week on the podcast plays. Hopefully Tommy's listening, and he'll uh, he'll I'm sure he'll have some good plays coming back this weekend as well. And uh, in honor of Tommy, this is one of his favorite parts of the show. Over. Well, it is over for this week. We will be back next week with the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast.